Good morning, Emmanuel. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, starting at verse 4 through verse 11. If you'll follow along in a Bible in front of you or on your phone, in whatever way you can access the scriptures as I read together. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him, were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and torn apart and a spirit of descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's one of those Sundays when I wish I had someone like James Earl Jones as an MC, so that they could say my sermon title in a low voice with a lot of drama, The Dangers of Baptism. <laughs> Admittedly, it's a provocative title, The Dangers of Baptism. It's not like on our church news feeds that there's a high incident of drownings or oversprinklings or babies that are dropped by pastors. So what makes baptism dangerous, you ask? Before we suss that out, allow me to talk about something I read recently by Pastor Max Grant. In his blog called Faith Meets Week, he said this, sometimes I wish it were harder to join the church. I mean, honestly, sometimes I think it's harder to get a membership at Costco than it is to become a Christian. And that's a bad thing. It's bad specifically because if the church is easy to join, then any notion of the responsibilities of membership can just fly right out the window. I get where he's going with that. I'm not sure I really share that concern, but I understand having the desire for people to step into their faith more fully, to have it mean something. But then he said this, what if? What if instead of a little sprinkling of water on the forehead or even a full immersion on the banks of a local river or something in between, what if the only way to join the church was by skydiving? Now that idea fascinates me. Think about it. If you and I had jumped out of an airplane and floated to the ground with a parachute in order to become members of Emmanuel, wouldn't we look at each other differently right now? Knowingly? We'd be super impressed with each other. There'd be a tight bond, a unique sister and brotherhood of people who had risked their lives in order to be a part of this place. And we'd immediately have something to talk about when we got together at Wednesday night dinners. So tell me about your jump. What was the weather like? The sky's clear? Was it windy or calm? Did you land where you planned or did they have to come find you? 
we would remember, right? How could we forget? It would certainly change Alden's confirmation class, which might have to look and sound more like a safety lecture than a United Methodist history and theology class. Imagine how much more the students would pay attention if they thought their very lives were on the line. And the newcomers class that started today would probably have a certain anxious energy about it if everyone knew that they would soon be jumping out of a plane together. As fun as that is to think about, that's not what I mean when I say that baptism is dangerous. So what do I mean? Is the danger that you can forget your baptism? Is that why we say, remember your baptism and be thankful? I have one of those jobs where baptism is literally a requirement. It's in the job description. To be clergy in the United Methodist Church, among other requirements, you first have to be baptized. So forgetting that I've been baptized doesn't seem likely. And it surrounds me every day, reminders of baptism. Even though my parents had me baptized as an infant, I can't say that for one second since I was told that, that I was baptized, that I've ever forgotten that I'm baptized. I don't think that's the point of the words, remember your baptism. You know, Jesus was baptized before going to work too. In fact, Jesus' life according to the gospel writer Mark, begins with his baptism in the River Jordan by John the Baptist. Apparently, there is nothing interesting to say about Jesus before his baptism. It's chapter 1. Were you listening as the scene played out in the Mark passage? There was a wild man clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist who lives in the desert and eats locust and wild honey stands waist-deep in a muddy river as men and women wade out to meet him and to receive his baptism, baptism of repentance. They've come a long way to see him and to hear his fiery rhetoric. They needed to see if what people said about him was true. You wouldn't call this atmosphere peaceful and serene. It feels risky, perhaps even dangerous. Everyone knows that the unkempt prophet is openly challenging the authority of the temple priests who claim to be the sole mediators of God's forgiveness. And John has no institutional standing. Rather, he's a threat to those in power, sparking a, a revolution of renewal in anticipation of the Messiah for whom all Israel waits with expectation. Authorities from Jerusalem have been out to visit him, not to seek repentance, but to challenge and test him. And even the king hates him because he's not afraid to speak his mind. The gospel writer describes the scene as the as yet unknown Jesus of Nazareth offers himself to be baptized. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he tells us, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. For Jesus and for the gospel writers who tell his story, this is a moment of profound significance. It is here in the muddy waters of the Jordan that Jesus' true identity is revealed 
and his authority is established. Our baptisms are moments of profound significance as well. It is here in the waters of baptism that our true identity is affirmed. We too are beloved children of God in whom the Father is well pleased. From this moment on, we are disciples, chosen and loved by God, and as a member of Christ's body, the church. No person or circumstance can ever take this identity away from us. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. Perhaps Mark's account of the baptism of Jesus can help us understand how radical and even dangerous it is to be marked as Christ's own forever. As Jesus is baptized and the heavens are torn apart, Mark tells us, here he uses the same Greek verb that he will employ later in his gospel to describe the rending of the, of the curtain in the temple, which is torn from the top to the bottom at the moment of Jesus' death. In both cases, what had been sealed is suddenly opened by the action of God. In baptism, God tears the heavens apart to reach down to us to claim us and to pour out on us the life-giving spirit that will empower us to be channels of God's compassion and justice in the world. So instead of the danger of not remembering our baptism, Maybe it's something else. You may have grown up in a family where your parents said to you, remember who you are as you were headed out to school or to hang out with your friends. Again, they didn't say it because they thought you might forget your name or where you live. Remember what this family values, what we stand for and believe in. Remember you are loved. Remember to whom you are connected. Maybe we should really be saying, remember whose you are. So whose are we? In baptism, we reject the power of sin and we begin our journey as disciples of Jesus Christ. My parents' act of having me baptized set me on a path. Your baptism set you on a path. Everyone in this room's baptism set you on a path that is different from the path that you would have been on if you had never been baptized. I can't prove that, but deep down, I believe it to be true. Baptism alters the trajectory of our lives. And maybe what we're doing today is reminding ourselves what baptism is and what it means. Checking in to see if we have stayed true to the path that was laid before us at our baptism. Mark Stom, in his book, The Meaning of Baptism, says it this way. Through baptism, we are born anew by the free gift of God and placed within this family called church. As with most families, we inherit a narrative. In this case, God's mighty acts narrated in scripture. The narrative we inherit is not only one of the past, but one into which we are now invited by the Holy Spirit, who empowers us to embody it, embody it in our own lives here and now. Through baptism, we become part of that unfolding narrative of God's grace. Or said another way, 
We as United Methodists believe baptism is a sacrament, a tangible sign through which we receive God's grace, are initiated into God, into the family of God, are marked as followers of Jesus Christ, and receive a call to be in ministry and mission to the world. The main thrust of today's text and the meaning of Jesus' baptism for us is that we are baptized into something. And this is why in Mark's judgment, the baptism of Jesus is so very clearly a radical act. In Jesus, God has committed the act of breaking and entering into the world. And Mark wants the world to know. Jesus came up out of the waters and perhaps this is what he saw a vision of God, and a vision of what it was that he could give his life to. It's an urgent summons to be a part of the remarkable, redemptive work of God, to give our lives like Jesus to tearing into the challenges and problems of the world with everything we've been given. And sometimes it's dangerous work. But lest we forget, it's not an individual act. In baptism, we become part of a people. The Apostle Paul emphasizes how we were all baptized into one body. Has our notion of baptism become too complacent, too comfortable, not dangerous enough? Perhaps it's time for us to reimagine baptism in light of Mark's account. What difference would it mean would it make in our lives if we were to imagine God tearing apart the heavens at the moment of our baptism to reach down and claim us as God's people? Today we have the opportunity of renewing our baptismal vows. We have the chance to affirm once again that God has chosen us and that we now belong to God. We have opportunity this morning to reclaim our identity as God's people and to embrace wholeheartedly the mission that belongs to those who share this identity. We have an opportunity to open our hearts once again to the power and presence of God's life-giving spirit so that it may renew us and toughen us for the tasks ahead. The beginning of a new year with its challenges and trials is a good time to remember our identity and mission like that of Jesus, that it comes from God. Now is a good time to remember who called us, who takes us by the hand, and who energizes us to introduce Jesus to a hurting world. When you come forward and hear the words, remember your baptism and be thankful, don't hear it as a reminder of something you may have forgotten. The real danger is not us forgetting our baptism. The real danger is that too often we have chosen to ignore our baptism. We hide it. I know I've ignored my baptism at times, pretended to be someone I wasn't, avoided things that I knew I was called to do because in that moment they seemed too difficult, too messy, too much effort. Our sin is often one of omission instead of commission. We are guilty of living our lives disconnected from our baptism, or of allowing ourselves to believe the lie that baptism has no, act on, 
has no impact on our behaviors or decisions moving forward. Now for those of us who drive a car or a truck, it's a skill that we practice most every day to get us where we need or want to go. But I wonder what it looks like for us to put our baptism into use every day, to practice our baptism, to treat it as a skill just like driving a car or riding a bike. Maybe we, we need to think of baptism more like a driver's license. Once we've taken and passed the test, we don't have to retake it. Our license serves as proof that we now possess the skills and training to be able to operate a motor vehicle in a responsible way. But every few years, the Department of Motor Vehicles still wants us to stop by and get a new photo and prove that we are still who we say we are. Maybe baptism is like that too. Every so often we need to renew it, update our calling, take a good look at our lives, offer up a new picture of ourselves that better reflects who and whose we are in God's kingdom. There's a small pile of these glass beads on the desk in my office that I picked up from years of baptismal reaffirmations. Most years at this service, I leave worship and I add it, this one to the ones that I've already picked up and to the assortment of blue and green and white that's already there. Sometimes I make it all the way home with it in my pocket, so I have another collection of them there at home on my nightstand. These tiny remembers that I have a job that's bigger than me, that I have a significant purpose, that I'm connected both to God and to each one of you, and that every day I'm called to live out my baptism. Let us pray. Lord, help us to live into the promise of our baptism Help us to live courageously and joyfully. Take us where it may, so long as that is where you need us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.